Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDOcast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me for the first time this season, first of many, I'm sure, is, uh, is my good buddy Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, what's going on, man? Not much, Dmitry. I just wrapped up the big project that I do every summer, and I got to tell you, having it out of the way and not having to work like 12 hours a day writing about stuff and uh, crunching numbers, mm. it feels good. It feels good. I feel very relaxed right now. Yeah, I mean, let's not lose sight of what we're doing. We're we're, we're watching and writing about hockey. It's uh, true in true. the grand scheme of things. If you have to do twelve hours a day of that, it's uh, you could be doing a lot worse. That's true. Although I'd much rather do like you know six to eight. Yes, yeah, it's so, a lot easier, especially when you're trying to juggle uh, real life stuff. But yeah, I, I'm just excited to be able to do uh, podcasts, like uh, jumping on the PDO cast, which is one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, well, and we love having you, and we've done this for the past, I believe, two seasons now. This is the third year you and I are going to be doing, uh, after you post it, I have the good fortune of looking at your list and sort of getting my getting my brain jogging and trying to figure out where I have my own top 20, and then I jot down kind of a framework of a list of my own, and then we go back and forth and try to figure it out and maybe uh see how much i agree with you or or, or where we differ um let's go through the methodology a bit just to uh refresh people's memory of sort of how uh you went about putting together this list and what went into it because obviously um you know there's it's it's really easy to nitpick with people's lists and and critique them but actually kind of starting from scratch and trying to figure out where all these guys go together when there is so much happening and there's so many different facets of the game that you have to consider is is an entirely different animal. So when you kind of sit down and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this top 20 or, or, or however many guys you're going to rank, what goes into it um, and sort of how do you weigh, weigh all those things? Yeah, so uh, this is my third year of doing this, and each year I kind of try to refine it a little bit and, you know, include some more knowledge in terms of, like, uh, what I've learned and then you do a lot of research in like public data and 
try to, I mean, I don't want to say steal, but steal some of their ideas and try to work in uh, what the smartest people out there are saying and try to figure out how that uh, can be. Uh, you can use like public ideas and then I have the advantage of using private data so I can kind of take those ideas and try to work them in. But at the same time, uh, the main thing that I try to stress every year when I do this is like, this is for fun. Like I'm not a mathematician. I I feel like comparing these to like a a war statistic or the Rapam that uh, Evolving Wild does, it's not a good comparison because I mathematically they're just way smarter than I am. I don't know how to do the kind of stuff that they do. So this is like kind of a combination of experience and gut feel of what's important. And I put in a ton of statistics, you know, ranging from, you know, individual high danger scoring chances to, you know, like how many, how often a player stick checks the puck away from an opponent that causes a change in possession and you, you try to weight what's important and what's not. You know, some things are worth like 0.2% of a total. And then there are things that are worth like 5 or 6%. Uh, it's very painstakingly long. I think the thing that I worry about most in all of it is just like getting weightings that make sense. And I try not to, uh, you know, overly rely on points, but then at the same time, not undervalue them. So it, it's it's a constant struggle to figure out what I actually want to do. But I think my main focus in terms of uh, what I can bring that's new to the project is an actual individual accounting of what players contribute transitionally Mm -hmm. and defensively because offensive statistics in the public sphere are pretty, pretty good. You know, like we have most of what you need, uh, especially with passing data coming out through, uh, uh, Mr. Simpson over there, uh, who's done great work. And then there's, you know, some transition work done that uh, Corey Schneider has given us all. So mm. I, I don't want to disregard Instead of stopping pucks for the devils, Corey Schneider is providing us with stats. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so that kind of stuff I, I try to work in, but also some stuff that SportLogic has that uh, other people don't have. Uh, some of the things that I worked in this year was uh, – more focus on like individual puck battles uh, that are contested instead of just loose puck recoveries, which are also still important. Um, I started to work on more uh, controlled entries against for defensemen. That was one of the big things that I worked in and uh, odd man rushes against. So like how often your partner is pinching and leaving you out to dry, that kind of stuff. And kind of just contextualize what each player actually deals with. And then also the uh, difficulty score, which is a combination of, for the most part, uh, quality of teammates and the amount of ice time that a player gets and how that ice time is allotted, right? So, like, if you're played more at even strength in the power play, it's going to be tougher, right? So if you get a lot of penalty kill time, for example, that's going to be a tougher sled for you in your overall statistics. It's just more draining. So trying to account for all that stuff and, you know... I'll probably change it quite a bit next year as well, but uh, I I feel like every year I've gotten closer to the truth. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I don't think we're ever going to, or at least anytime soon, entirely get there. But obviously it it, it gets the discussion going and it kind of makes you think about different stuff and sort of how you weigh all those things and different attributes. Um, You do, so you're you're doing a three-year average, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it weights all three years differently. Mm-hmm. This, I use the same formula as uh, Dominic Gallimini uh, from uh, the Hero Charts. Mm-hmm. 
So like uh, three years ago is like 22.2%, then 33.3 and 44.5. So uh, it gives a little bit of recency bias to everything. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the main thing. And you, you try to do some waiting for games played as well. You don't want to have somebody who played like 20 games this year have that 20 games be more important than 160 games the previous two years. So there's some of that as well, but I try not to uh, punish players a lot for being injured either. So like it's also one of those things where you have to kind of look at both sides. I feel like one of the main struggles that I have is I try to figure out like what does the coach see that I'm not seeing? And I feel like that's always something that I've personally struggled with. Uh, Some people seem to be able to identify that a little bit better, but there are some players who just what, whatever way I, change the rankings or change the weightings because like sometimes i play around and see after i'm done uh what if i did this differently what if i did this differently what would the list look like and there are some guys who coaches love who no matter what i do just aren't very good so it's one of those things where it's just like am i missing something or are they crazy yeah no i think that's uh that's definitely fair and and so you made a couple good points there that i did want to uh kind of hammer home because it is a bit of a double-edged sword with with lists like this because on the one hand people really love them it it's great discussion fodder and and it's always fun to do but people also especially love getting mad when their favorite player their favorite team oh, yeah. isn't as high as they think it is and and especially you know the i'm going to say it now just so you don't have to keep repeating it once we go into it but the margin not necessarily the margin for error but like the wiggle room between some of these guys is so small that you could yes. basically it's you know if you're talking about the 19th guy and the 13th or something like that like those guys are ultimately pretty interchangeable like they're both probably going to be great players and even there's like you know we stopped this at 20 just for time constraints just because if we went further like this would be like a four-hour podcast but in reality, you could probably make a list of like 30 or 40 centers. Like the position in today's NHL is so deep down the middle that you really could go, you know, we're not going to talk about a handful of guys who are premium top number one centers that any team would love to have as their number one guy. And, and it's just, that's kind of the nature of this type of a project. So uh, we'll do a couple of honorable mentions, but ultimately we won't be able to get at, get to everyone. And if we don't get to your favorite player, it's not necessarily a sign of disrespect or us thinking the player is not good it's just a matter of kind of we have to eventually cut this list down at some point yeah for sure and i feel like this is one thing where like everybody gets focused on the number where the ranking is but like look at the total when i'm listing out the players and look how small the differences are and like part of that is because like the more statistics that you use the less chance that one player is going to be tops or even near the top at all of them so like you get a more uh, more parity in the statistics. So like it, you get a lot more separation at the top. Like Connor McDavid is like eleven points higher than the person in tenth place. But then you go eleven points further down, and you're all the way down in like forty fifth, mm-hmm. right? So it, it's kind of the same way it goes with the. Uh, you know, if you look at points per 60 or, or most statistics really in the NHL, there's like that separation at the top. And then there's a huge glut of people in that mid range that are all like good top line or close to it guys. Yeah. And ultimately, as you said, it's supposed to be a, a fun exercise above all else. Like there's not exactly. there's not that much um, practical value here. Like, you know, sometimes we do these podcaster lists and you're like highlighting guys who are under the radar, you know, 
players that provide much better value than people generally expect and then you know stuff like that could actually have practical value from the perspective of a team could potentially target that type of a player or trade or you know make some use of it and in this grand scheme of things it's like us telling you that nicholas backstrom is slightly better than ryan Getzlaff or something like that is like ultimately the the ducks and the and the capitals are probably not going to be trading those two players so um <laughs> it just kind of take that for what it is but it, it is at the end of the day it's supposed to be a fun exercise and with that said um let's do honorable mentions here before we get into our top 20 um who were give me a couple of names that didn't make your list that you um that either just missed it or you really kind of had a tough time leaving off because you liked them for whatever reason yeah i mean i'm i looking through it there's various guys that kind of miss out for unfair reasons i'll say like uh michael backland he just just missed the top 20 this year he ranked 23rd and the biggest reason for that is simply that he was super unlucky last year and even after accounting for a terrible pdo and trying like adjusting for difficulty of minutes and all that he still it it didn't make up for his lack of point production and lack of uh on ice goals uh goals for percentage so that really knocked him down. I feel like he's probably a top 20 center in an average year, mm-hmm. but he just didn't quite make it last year. Yeah. Yeah. He was on my list. Um, William Carlson missed, just missed the customer cut for me. Yeah. I mean, William Carlson's an interesting one because he had this insane year last year. And then his previous two years for me were like, he was like when he was taken by Vegas, I was like, what on earth are they doing? Cause he ranked as like one of the worst players at his position. Like he was just not good. And obviously they knew something that none of us did, but like even factoring in last year, he, he was ranked down at like 53rd by my metrics. So mm-hmm. I, I fully expect him to be higher, but at the same time last year, you know, 24% shooting percentage or whatever it was, probably not going to happen again. But even if he's a 20 goal scorer, like his defensive play last year took a huge step. Uh, he was pretty good carrying the puck. So I, I expect to see him, you know, not necessarily be a top line center, but to settle in somewhere in the second line area. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, a few other names that I had, I, I, I both stall brothers. I had under strong consideration. Ultimately didn't wind up having them. Miko Koivu, who um, probably should have won the Selkie last year and is a tremendous defensive player. I had a, you know, I thought about him. It's really tough when you're talking about some of the caliber names on this list to have a guy who had 14 goals and 45 points. Like I understand that, you know, he's not used in that way, and I'm sure that he probably could have more offensive production if he was used in softer matchups. But at the end of the day, um, we are nitpicking here with some of these guys, and ultimately, like the fact that he didn't put up the offensive numbers when some of the other guys are, you know, not necessarily equally as good defensively, but close enough and are putting up significantly better offensive numbers i feel like that ultimately was one of the big reasons why i just couldn't have in my top 20 yeah i'm with you there on koibu and i i feel like i remember like when i was writing about the selkie last year i had it in my head that it was for like the best two-way forward but that's not what it actually is right like if you actually look up the definition of the award it is like purely defensive forward that's how but it definitely is awarded for the best two-way forward so that's one of those weird ones that you know the public way of awarding it is not the same as what's written down but uh yeah he wasn't quite in my top 30-ish range both stall brothers were uh 
I think the guy that was probably the toughest to leave out in terms of, uh, you know, where his career is trending was Sean Couturier. He took a huge step last year. And, like, obviously part of it was, you know, hanging on to Claude Giroux's career year. But he took a big step offensively with uh, getting to the net. He was, like, a monster for high-danger scoring chances. And he remains a fantastic defensive forward who I I feel like he makes more – uh, impact defensively than his like on ice numbers give him credit for and that that's like a, a consistent thing that I try to figure out like if a player has like an incredible Corsi four percentage for example but then I look at what they're doing individually and there's just nothing really showing up are those numbers just you know a mirage or mm-hmm. are they doing something that we can't track yet like just are they just phenomenal positionally right and it's a question that i feel like we're not prepared to answer yet yeah definitely not obviously when we have more information um i think in a couple of years we'll we'll be better we'll be better equipped to answer that i contrary actually as my uh as my number 20 so uh that was a perfect perfect segue into uh perfect getting to this list yeah you obviously you laid out the case there for him i think um you know, he jumped up massively last year offensively to 30 plus goals, uh, 76 points. And part of that certainly was playing with Claude Giroux quite a bit. I, I, it's, I think it's kind of impossible to separate, um, the chicken or the egg or sort of what was responsible for that because you can make the argument equally that Claude Giroux wouldn't have had that career year if he wasn't afforded the luxury of not playing down the middle and not and having a guy like Sean Couturier doing so much of that heavy lifting for him and freeing him up offensively. So I think it was just kind of one of those things where it was a match made in heaven between those two. And I think the bigger bigger thing for me is Couturier finally stayed healthy last year. I mean, he played all 82 games. Obviously, mm-hmm. he got injured in the postseason, and um, hopefully he'll be able to replicate that this year. But yeah, I mean, after you know being a guy who, for the past couple of years before that, always seemed to kind of miss around 10, 15 games with random injuries here or there. He really strung together his first full complete season and put it together offensively and defensively. And at the end of the day, I, I, I thought it was good enough to uh, to crack this list. But I'm glad to hear that because I noticed that he wasn't on yours. Um, so I'm glad to hear that he was at least, you know, someone that you put a lot of thought into. Yeah, he was, in terms of the numbers, number 21. So he mm, just just go. narrowly got beat out by Vincent Trocek. Okay, well, do you want to talk a bit about Vincent Trocek? Yeah, he's a, he's a heck of a player. I don't know why, like, I feel like, you know, you and I know a lot about Vincent Trocek, but I feel like the average person, because he plays in Florida, still doesn't really know about Vincent Trocek. And even last year, he had, like, a breakout offensive year, even though he's been, I mean, I guess it's his, like, second breakout, right? <laughs> he had, like, the breakout into the 50-point range, and then last year, he just, like, crushed it uh, once he was given better line mates. So the, he's an interesting player to me. What actually surprised me was he ranked lower than last year because uh, his defensive play collapsed a little bit last year. So I, I don't expect that to continue, but he's a player that you know is in the right age range. He's in his prime. He plays behind Alexander Barkov, which gives him an advantage uh, in terms of quality of competition. And also now, he, like this year, he's playing with uh, Huberdeau and Hoffman. That's a line that... I, I don't know how teams are going to stop it. They just adding Hoffman to that line, like not only is Trocek really good at getting down low into the slot and creating those chances, Hoffman's a guy who can score from a, di- a distance. So now you've got like, they can attack you from anywhere and be legitimate goals, uh, goal scoring threats. That's just an incredible line. And I feel like 
Hoffman is a guy also who gets a bad rap defensively. He has like uh, unplugged controller moments at times, but mm-hmm. in terms of like his overall play over an 82 game season, he's actually a pretty decently good uh, impact uh, defensive winger. So that's a super interesting one for me. Uh, I, I could see Trocheck actually flirting with point per game status in the next couple of years here. Yeah, he's got the talent for it, and obviously the uh, the usage, especially if it continues, how they were they were using him and Barkov last year, where it seemed like, especially as the year went on, it was just it was like one of those two guys was pretty much on the ice at all times, um, and they yeah. kind of just cut out their bottom six. So it, um, you know, if he's going to be playing in that twenty plus twenty one plus minute range again, uh, that obviously goes into the volume of just accumulating those points, and and he's certainly got the talent. So yeah, no, I think. Uh, if I had, he would have been like around 25 for me or so. So he was definitely under consideration. Um, but I had Sean Couturier a bit ahead of him. So who do you, give me a, give me a couple of the names after that then. So you have Trocek at 20. Yeah. And by the numbers, I had David Krejci at 19, but I feel like I kind of alter my list on the PDO cast. So you're looking more towards the future mm-hmm. instead of just uh, the past. So right. I actually had Tyler Sagan at 19, who was 25 on my list by the numbers because his transition game has collapsed in the last couple of years. But I think that that change in coaching is going to bring back the Tyler Sagan who could really carry the puck and be a dynamic uh, controlled entry guy uh, that we saw earlier in his career. Uh, I think he's primed for a really, really dynamic season. (laughs) And I mean, I guess the Jets kind of found out about that last game. That was uh, a bit brutal the way that top line cannibalized him. Yeah, no, I, I I tweeted about this, but it's only been a couple games now, so you don't want to uh, read too much into it, and you don't want to get carried away. But it looks like uh, the stars are back to being fun to watch again after that uh, bizarre. I mean, obviously last year under Hitchcock, but even the year before, they were just such a mess that it was kind of hard to watch at times. And and it looks like they're uh, I don't know if they're going to be as good as they were a couple years ago, where they were a game away from making the Western Conference Final, but. Uh, they certainly seem poised to at least bounce back to something resembling that, and that's obviously a great sign for the stars, for Sagan, for their fans, and for uh, for hockey fans because I, I they left a void in my life uh, not getting to watch the stars play exciting games. Yeah, not to get too sidetracked, but that first shift by Miro Heskainen, I was like, mm. uh, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's something special right there. So that I feel like that jumps up your watch, watchability, your rankings a little bit. There, <laughs> Dallas Stars after like two games or whatever. Well, it's two things. It's obviously like the ability to actually pull that off. Like that's one thing, but it's it's sort of the mindset of like that being your first shift in the NHL. Yeah, after this big summer where people are like, I can't believe they're not trading this guy for Eric Carlson, and then like to just go out there and unleash like that is uh, is special because we 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 see far too often in the NHL that especially with young players there's sometimes so conservative just because they know that if they if he winds up turning that over he could very well wind up being benched and so it's like guys generally kind of err on the side of caution and the fact that he was just like you know what I'm just gonna go and I'm just gonna make this play repeatedly and and just see what happens uh I love that I love that mindset I love the I love the skill and uh hopefully we see more of that as the year goes along I, I'd say again at, at 17 on my list um you know, it's kind of similar to what I was saying about Couture. He, he bounced back health-wise last year as well and, um, you know, had a big offensive season, scored a ton of goals, got back to looking like Tyler Sagan. And if they do keep that line together this year with uh, with Radulov and, and Ben moving forward and based on how they looked against Winnipeg, I don't see why they wouldn't for the time being. Uh, all three of those guys could have monster, monster numbers. Yeah, and I, I feel like also the impact of Jason Spezza looking more like Jason Spezza mm-hmm. this year it's underrated how much that can impact a guy like Tyler Sagan, where like 
a bit of that pressure to be the one center is is off. Like not like he's going to get fewer minutes or anything, but you don't have like that pressure every night. We're like, if you don't score, we're going to lose. So you, you can play a little bit looser and. I think the points are going to be, you know, even easier to come by for that line. Uh, That line is just so dangerous, so skilled, and they come at you in so many different ways. And they're all like, I I don't know, I wouldn't call Sagan strong for an NHL player, but Radulov and Ben are just monsters on the puck. It's it's a tough one to to battle that line. Uh, Above Tyler Sagan, I had... Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, I moved him down a little bit off of the numbers list just because I'm less confident in him being a great center than the numbers seem to be just because of the whole Connor McDavid factor and that he doesn't seem to be able to stick at center. Uh, Not through any fault of his own necessarily, but just the Oilers have so few wingers that they just keep on putting him with McDavid because he can actually play with him. Yes. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting situation to follow because, um, you know, towards the end of last year, they seemed insistent on playing Ryan, Ryan Nugent Hopkins on that uh, McDavid wing and bumping Leon Settle down to play center. And then I believe they started that way um, in their opener in Sweden against the Devils. But then as the game went along, we did see Settle bump up to that wing a bit. So I'm curious. To see, obviously, I think uh, if he does get to play with McDavid at 5 on 5, his numbers are going to uh, positively re- reflect that. But he's probably more valuable to the Oilers playing down the middle and giving them another scoring line if he can if he can handle that and carry his own line mates. So I, it's tough because these are the questions that we hopefully would have had fully answered before they gave him a monster contract. But yes, exactly. Uh, the fact that we still don't entirely know that and. You know, there's no reason to believe necessarily that he can't. Like, he's got all the tools and has been wildly productive early in his NHL career. But yeah, how kind of differentiating how much of that is Connor McDavid effect and how much of that is Leandre Seidel being a top twenty center? Um, you'd you'd like to think that we'd know more certainly based on how much he's being paid these days. Yeah, and he was one of the guys that like I, I've been a little bit skeptical of for a couple of years just because of the McDavid thing. So I really focused in on when I was like collecting all the data, like how he ranked in like the individual metrics that you know they they're affected by line mates, but like they're less than the on ice stuff. And he ranks really really well, especially offensively and transitionally. Like he is a a monster with the puck on his stick uh, in all three zones. Really, like he's just excellent at moving it up the ice. So so he's a guy that I, I think the talent is real. I'm just not sure how high he can fly, right? Right. <laughs> to use a to use a cliche. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's uh, entirely fair and these are the questions that we should be asking. Um so you had Trochek 20, Sagan 19 on this list and then Dreisaitl 18? Correct. And then do you have Jonathan Taves coming up, I feel like? I do, I do. Yeah. I, have, I have Taves at 17. He moved up big time for me this year. I think factoring in um, a more heavy uh, difficulty score helped him a little bit. And also, he's actually been better than people believe uh, the last couple of years. His offensive numbers have been hurting, especially his goal scoring with like career low shooting percentages. But uh, he's actually like improved his play overall three years straight. So... I th- I feel like this start of the season where I think he already has like five goals, it, it's a bit of a surprise, but I feel like this was coming. Like this was 
uh, he was due to, to borrow a Norris voters conversation piece. <laughs> uh, he he's, he's there, you know, like I, I feel like we're not going to see prime level Taves where he's like 70 points, 35 goals. But I, I think that he's still a top end center in this league and he has the defensive impact to, to back up uh, a bit of a loss in, in uh, offense and his transition am- impact has also gotten better the last three years. So he's focused more on, on being good in certain areas that don't necessarily produce goals directly. And uh, I think the Blackhawks are going to be a lot better for it. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny how uh, in such a short time, like how just a change in sort of perception of, of the team and of the narrative that we're having and in, in the bigger picture can change. Um, the way we view a player and Taze is obviously a great example of that. Like it seems like just a couple of years ago where people were legitimately having a discussion of Taze or Crosby. And then that was silly at the time, but it was, you know, at least kind of meriting putting him up there in that upper echelon of players. And now it's only been a couple of years and he's still not necessarily like, it's not like he's physically declining that much or anything. So the fact that he's down here, like I, I had him just missing my list, um, but I didn't mention him in honorable mentions because I did, I knew you had him, here so i kind of wanted a way to talk about him but yeah you're right i think the obviously having alex Zabrinkat as a running mate is going to help him quite a bit and rejuvenate him a little bit and and that shooting percentage um sort of similar to what happened with Andre kopitar over the past two years like if if that bounces that back up a bit all of a sudden he could back get back to scoring 30 something goals and and people be like oh jonathan taves he's not done he's actually back and you know we're seeing that he has five goals in his first three games and he won't keep scoring on like one out of every two shots he takes or whatever but it's obviously a, a very encouraging start for him and i wouldn't be surprised at all if he had a bit of a throwback vintage offensive season yeah it, it's gonna be interesting to watch him i i think he's uh definitely a candidate to have that you know anti kopitar level season like you said mm-hmm. and you know i don't think he's as good as kopitar no anymore but i don't know if he ever really was quite at that level i I think he was he was still fantastic but i feel like he was a little bit overrated for his prime of his career just because you know blackhawks and leadership and all that but yeah i'm super interested and I, i also feel like i root for taves um not just because you know i i tend to uh you know when he was being compared to Crosby, I, I was definitely one of the people who made fun of him a lot. And then when his reputation kind of like went down, I was like, you know, he's not that bad. So I kind of like forced myself to go like counterculture, I think. But uh, also, I feel like he's just a cool guy. And uh, he's one of the few NHLers who speaks out politically. And he's actually pretty progressive. So I feel like that also makes me root for him as much as that's like off topic and uh, not really part of what we're talking about. Right. No, no, you're right. I, I um yeah, I'm I'm positively I'm, I'm I'm kind of weirdly optimistic about uh Taves and uh, that that game the other night between uh between the Blackhawks and the Leafs was something else. I oh, it's uh, fantastic. I don't know, you know, they've been good so far. I guess they're what like 2-0 and 1 or something. Um that was their only loss and it was in overtime against the Leafs, but man, Cam Ward. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting choice, eh? I'll I'll save that for uh, when we're ranking our top 20 goals. <laughs> no, um He's so, number one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we're going to pick up uh, pick up the discussion on the other and things. The PDO Cast has a new sponsor in MeUndies, and I'm pretty fired up to talk about them today. Whenever I listen to other podcasts and I'd hear the hosts raving about MeUndies, I never really fully 
bought in or appreciated it i you know i got this picture of them being this cool new hip underwear brand with the fun crazy prints but i never really um kind of understood that there's real substance to it until i finally tried on a pair of myself the other day um now that i'm partnered with me and they send me over uh some socks some fun new underwear and i put it on and i really realized it is the most comfortable thing i've ever worn they use this micro mortal fabric which is a full three times softer than regular cotton and you're going to really appreciate that uh, fact once you put it on and you're not going to want to take it off. I think honestly, moving forward, MeUndies is all I'm going to be rocking. Um, they also release fun multiple new prints each month uh, and matching socks and bralettes. So you can get a matching pair with your partner. They're seasonally appropriate. So now that we're celebrating the fall season and, and Halloween coming up, they've got you know some quirky jack-o'-lantern prints and all sorts of good stuff like that. So you can really kind of get into it and uh, spice things up. And they've also got a 100% satisfaction guarantee. They're so sure they're going to love the underwear that if they can't, for whatever reason, get you into the right pair and really uh, make you a believer, they're going to let you keep them and they're going to refund you. So it really is a risk-free way to try the best underwear out there. And MeUndies now has a great offer for my listeners. Uh, if you're not already convinced for some reason um, and you've never purchased with them before, for any first-time purchasers, when you go to MeUndies and you buy something, you're going to get 15% off. It's a no-brainer, really. You get 15% off a pair of the most comfortable underwear you're ever going to put on. So to take advantage of that offer and get 15% off your first pair and 100% satisfaction guarantee, all you have to do is go to MeUndies.com slash PDO. That's MeUndies.com slash PDO. Now, let's get back to the Hockey PDO cast. Okay. Um, so we're up to... Let's do a bit of my list now because we're... Uh, we're up to, I guess, the top 16 on yours. And... Um, yeah. I have uh, so this this is it's it's getting tough here, man. Uh, I so we've only done number twenty on mine, Sean Couturier. Um, yeah, this is this is like the meat, right? Like thirty five to fifteen, uh, or even like to twelve yeah. is like it's so tough. There's so many in the middle there. Yeah, and so I'd, I'd say again at seventeen on mine. Um, Nineteen is a player who um, I felt weird putting this low down the list because I feel like you could make a case for him being significantly higher and based on name brand value, I think people will be surprised. But I had Steven Stamkos at 19. Mm. Yeah, Stamkos fell down a lot for me as well. Uh, I had him at 14. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously it was great to see that he was healthy for the most part last year and he put up big offensive numbers. Um, it's it's weird because I, I wonder if he's moving into a different stage of his career now in terms of what he profiles like as a player um i wonder if he's going to be a bit more of a playmaking type than kind of that pure lethal one-shot scorer like listen he 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 shot 12 something percent last year which for most players is a pretty darn good season but i like just based on the injuries and sort of um the age at this point and where he's at in his career i wonder if we will see that prime Steven Stamkos where he's like approaching 20% as just a ridiculous generational all-time finisher. Um, I wonder if he's ever going to be able to turn back the clock like that for a full season. And he could still be, as he was last year, very effective, but it might just be as a bit of a different type of player. Yeah, he's super interesting to me because on the one hand, he's gone from pretty much a premier shooter who only gets assists on his rebounds to like his shot has kind of not been as effective the last couple of years. And now all of a sudden he's 
I mean, part of it's that he's passing to Nikita Kucherov, but he's putting in the work to be close to an elite level playmaker Mm -hmm. the last couple of years. But what surprised me about Stamkos is uh, last, was it last year or the year before where he only played like 20 games? Uh, whichever season that was, not this last, I mean like 16, 17, yeah, yeah, two years ago. So that year he actually had like a breakout season in terms of defensive play and transition play. He went from being okay to being like really, really good. And he kind of carried that through to last year as well. When like, I feel like he was underrated and how good the lightning actually were. Or no, sorry, not last year. Uh, 16-17 was the year that he was really good there. Uh, But last year, he really fell apart defensively to the point where he was one of the lowest impact defensive players at center. Like, uh, not to trash Alex Galchenyuk, but he was around the same defensive impact as Alex Galchenyuk at center, which, you know, notoriously has been a big thing in uh, Montreal Mm -hmm. in terms of stories. So I feel like if he's not more involved away from the puck... that whole issue where you remember when John Cooper was trying to play him on the wing. I wonder if that comes back a little bit because you've got to, as a center, be a lot more involved in like stopping passes through to the slot. You've got to, uh, you know, engage with players in the neutral zone a lot more. And he just didn't last year. I, I have no idea why maybe he was playing with a little injury that was slowing him up a little bit, but I would like to see what he looks like this year without the puck and with the puck in the neutral zone hmm. before I think that, you know, Stamkos could be back up to his peak levels because he's really bounced around this list for me because he's kind of been, you know, either an all-out offense or his offense suffers and he's a great all-around player and then all-out offense the next year. So, like, I, I feel like he didn't even make the list in 2015-16 or he was really low and then last year, I had him, like, top six or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then this year, he's down to 14. So it, I, I, know, I don't know, like, it's super strange to be this late in a player's career for Stamkos, and I don't know what player he is. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. And, and um, even if his shot has or will continue to deteriorate a bit, like, he's still going to be so effective as a playmaker just because of that, of, because of who he is and the, and the memory of Steam Stamkos. Like, teams are still going to have to play him for that shot and he's shown that he has the vision and the, and the passing ability to uh do you know do that cross seam pass over to Kucherov and the east west action they do it particularly in the power play is is one of the most fun things to watch in the league so he's got you know he's still an awesome player listen I have him 19 on my list he's ahead of some really really big names that are awesome players in their own right so the fact that uh he's down here isn't a slight at all it's just that uh you know, maybe sort of the perception and sort of uh, where he's at in his career, we should change the way we think and talk about Steven Stamkos. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and, and I feel like also there's some hit to your reputation that comes with you no longer being the best player on your team, right? And Nikita Kucherov has been so good the last few years that it, you just don't think about Stamkos as often. Well, and not even not being the best player in your own team, but I am going to go so far as to say I don't think he's the best center on his own team anymore. <sighs> I've seen a few people say this. I, I I think point is close, but I don't know if I'd put him there yet. I bet you. And this is in, and we can get into danger here, dangerous waters here, because uh, you know players don't always uh, progress in sort of that stepwise uh, fashion. So sometimes there's ups and downs, and it it might be a bit of a reach to say this, but I think when you're doing this list next year, I think Brayden Point is going to be ahead of Steven Stamkos on it. That's that's interesting. I mean, the potential's there. I actually had him rated above Stamkos last season, uh, but 
the season before and the lack of 2015-16 uh, season for point, uh, there was less room for him to be able to, to move up. He had to be, you know, to go from being a rookie and you could have a great sophomore year, but you still have to have that. Like that, the rookie years are usually not as highly rated as mm-hmm. you know a point total makes it look. There's you know gaps in their game, so yeah, it, it could definitely happen. I wouldn't be that surprised just because Stamkos, both in 2015-16 and 2017-18, was not as impressive as I expected him to be. No, he wasn't, and and point. Uh, I mean, some of this is kind of just uh, a bit of recency bias, but he just. Man, he looked a bit of so, shiny new car bias. Well, yeah, and he and he looked so darn good in that postseason run they had. Oh yeah, and he was think, their best player. I thought. Yeah, and I think even the regular season. I mean, if you look at it objectively, I think Point was the more effective five-on-five player. It's just he didn't get to play with Kucherov, obviously, and uh, and he got fewer uh, power play opportunities. So I think like if you swap those two things, I wonder what their point totals would look like. No pun intended, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I so I've I've point actually at sixteen on my list, so I uh I'm I'm all in on the Braden Point train and maybe part of that is uh is is reckless on my part, but I, I'm 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 completely buying his stock. Um so who do you wait actually let 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 me catch up to you on my list. So Yeah, for sure. I have Couturier twenty, I had Stamkos nineteen, I have um I have Ryan O'Reilly eighteen, and I wanted to bump Ooh, wow, that far down. Yeah, I I love Ryan O'Reilly as a player and I think uh based on his new environment he could have a awesome, awesome season and bump up this list next year. It's just I had to. I just I guess at the end of the day, I just liked some of the players slightly more than I had ahead of him. But like mm-hmm. he's he's awesome and and he's a great example of what we were talking about earlier. Where if you wanted to have him at twelve or something on this list, and and I know you have him a bit higher, I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm not going to fight you for it. I just I had him eighteen, and then and that's where I felt comfortable putting him. Yeah, I don't think like like we talked about before, like the gap between eighteen to twelve is not that large. Uh, I feel like Ryan O'Reilly kind of suffers a little bit that he's not offensively dynamic, right? Like mm-hmm. he is a really good playmaker, but he's not flashy. Where he really excels is like all the little parts of the game that like you and I pay attention to a lot, but like the average, not to denigrate the average viewer, but like when you're not spending a work week investigating hockey you probably don't see all the little things that ryan o'reilly is so good at and that's probably why his reputation doesn't really catch up to you know where you and i would rank him like i remember when he was traded a bunch of people were really shocked when i said he was a top 15 center in the nhl and obviously you rank him right below there but it's the same range we'll say top 20 whatever right and uh people didn't even believe he was a first line center which you know i find crazy but it's it's one of those things where you know a guy who <laughs> I think the other thing is you look at his offensive numbers and I, I always assume that Ryan O'Reilly puts up less points than he does because he's not as dynamic right looking right so like last year when he apparently said that he had lost his love for the game I believe he still had like 65 points or something on the Sabres well part of that was also like they were just using him an insane amount because he was pretty much yes the only of course center, but yeah. yeah, but like he's still putting up good numbers mm-hmm. to, despite the fact that he apparently hated playing hockey right. last year, which like that's that's rough. I feel like any job where you hate going in every day, that's that's pretty rough. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's going to um, even if it's in more subtle ways, going to have an impact on your effectiveness. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, no, he's uh, it looks like he's going to be playing with Tarasenko all year. So that's a pretty sweet combo. I know great spot for him to 
slide into and i'm sure he's gonna he's gonna love his new dig so um yeah i'm just guessing he's not gonna hate playing there yeah i think he's gonna have an okay time um and the blues are gonna be really good so um i had him at 18 i had uh Sagan at 17, point at 16. So now uh, let's let's continue on with your list. So who okay, do you have I, had, I had uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, mm. which I, I was shocked that I had him further down the list, but it's one of those things where, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out where people fit and you just like a few people a little bit more than him. But man, he like his transition effectiveness, like his ability to attack off the rush. I was actually surprised that, like, outside of zone entries, he's a little bit weak transitionally. He's a bit of a turnover machine when he's passing the puck. But his ability to attack off the rush might be second to only Connor McDavid in terms of, like, not just creating those rush opportunities, but creating rush opportunities where you're also, like, moving the puck east-west, either with skating or passing, He and having that multiple-tool offense where you're just as dangerous of a shooter as you are a passer and i guess it also doesn't hurt to play with alex ovechkin being your passing option yeah no that uh that'll that'll be a nice little boost for you I'm, i'm surprised to hear that as well because like i remember when you and i i think i had you on to do the stanley cup final preview um last summer and we were talking and it wound up uh bearing out that you know vegas had done so much of their damage in terms of their forecheck and kind of stifling other teams breakouts out of their own zone and we thought the the capitals might be able to counteract that just because guys like kuznetsov and lars eller were doing so much heavy heavy lifting taking the puck out of their own zone and he was so good in the postseason i thought at kind of going back behind his net and then skating it out and showing off that dynamic skating and um so yeah i think he's he's just because he's rushing and because he puts up big point totals and he's playing with Ovechkin, I, I think he gets thought of or pigeonholed a little bit as just being a purely offensive guy. But I mean, we're seeing it, and we're, we're seeing it this year as well. I'm very curious to see how it's going to impact his overall season. But I believe they're going to be using him quite a bit more on the penalty kill this year with Jay Beagle gone. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated to see how much of that, um, how that's going to affect his overall play and whether he's going to be able to thrive at that. I don't see why he wouldn't. I, I, I'm a big fan of having offensive players on the penalty kill just because I feel like, uh, you know, if you're making the other team uncomfortable with even the possibility that you could actually do something with a puck whenever you get it and you're kind of disrupting with your speed, I think that's more effective than sitting back and blocking shots. So if he adds that to his game as well, like we could be talking about him as one of the top handful of guys this this time next year. Yeah, and this is a move that like as soon as I heard about it, I just had this huge like ear-to-ear grin because I love that kind of thinking from a coaching staff. And I love that Kuznetsov asked for it because, Mm -hmm. you know, without the puck at even strength, he's not a great defender. But the thing is like what makes a good defender at even strength is not the same on the, is on the penalty kill, especially at forward. So like the fact that he has that quick agility and a quick stick, you know, maybe he's not going to be the most aggressive defender at five on five, but you're forced to be aggressive on the penalty kill and his ability to like immediately transition to offense. It it just backs teams off. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to be fantastic. You know, like, I think that that's going to be, he could score like five, six shorthanded goals this year. We don't know it. I think that's going to be a great decision by the Washington Capitals. And one of those things, like one of those little changes that can kind of put them right back in the conversation this year, which uh, I kind of came into the year thinking that was great. They captured the magic, but I don't think they're contenders this year. Little decisions like that, where you're changing things to just modernize your strategies a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
they could be right back in there next this year. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I have them. Uh, I have them twelve on my list. So I'm. Uh, yeah, I, I love Guni Kuznetsov. Give me all the all the Kuznetsov stock. Um, who do you have after Kuz? I have uh, Mark Shifley, which I had him much higher in previous lists, but last year he just took a bit of a step down defensively, and uh, I think that it's hard to measure how much he's grown offensively because that top line with Winnipeg is so complete. And uh, I think that most of their effectiveness is just in like that high danger area where, and the rest of the ice, they are kind of a little bit weaker than average. So it's hard for me to balance out like what matters more, the small sample size stuff that they happen to consistently beat, you know, PDO Mm -hmm. or, the large sample stuff where they're actually getting outshot and outplayed. Yeah. It was a weird, I mean, obviously great season for the Jets. They finally realized their potential and I'm still shocked that they didn't make the Stanley Cup final, but you know, heading into the year, we were like, Oh, you know, they had the, their top guys, the top line or two is going to be dominant again. And I wonder if the, if the third line and, and, and especially the bottom six can hold up their end of the bargain and, for most of the year, like the underlying numbers suggested that the bottom six was actually thriving and the top line was, you know, Wheeler and Shifley's numbers kind of dipped a little bit uh, in terms of the underlying statistics. Obviously, they were producing quite a bit offensively, but it was kind of just one of those head scratching things. And uh, I wonder just how like because it, it doesn't really seem to be that much of a logical explanation for why that would happen, because both Wheeler and Shifley are so darn, so darn good and Kyle Connor is great. So it's it's. I think they're going to be fine, and Shifley showed in the postseason just how dominant he can be. And I had him at um, I had him at eleven on my list, just ahead of Kuznetsov. So I'm a I'm a big fan, and I I know he was kind of a bit of a trendy uh, MVP pick this season. And I haven't seen anything from the Jets so far. I know that they had a bit of a hiccup there in Dallas, but I think that speaks more to how good the Stars are going to be this year than any faults with with Winnipeg. I think I was just marveling at the fact, like especially in that season opener against St. Louis where they have this extra gear they can hit where St. Louis was actually playing pretty well. And I believe it was like one, nothing for a long time for Winnipeg. And then all of a sudden I look up and it's five, nothing. And they got a bunch of goals from a bunch of different guys and they're scoring shorthanded and the third line's chipping in. And you're just like, man, this team has so many weapons. Like I know this has nothing to do with Mark Shifley, but on most teams in this league, like would Kyle Connor be like the second best player on them? And when, when we're, when we're lifting, when we're listing the guys on Winnipeg, you have to wait so long just to get to him. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. Nick Ehlers is playing on the third line right now is <laughs> just monstrous. And then you have a young guy like Roslovich who looks like he's going to be like a top mm-hmm. two caliber center or a top two line caliber center. They're, they're incredible. I feel like their ability to just put teams away is what to always shocks me like whereas most teams would try to like eke out a two goal or one goal win the jets are just like well let's just score five more in the third period and then we don't have to worry so much and they just do it it's uh they're an incredible team and they can kind of come at you any way you want to play uh they could be the most physical team in the league they could be the most dynamic offensive team in the league they're fun man and shifley's a big part of that i i think he's probably the most effective offensive player like in terms of overall ability on that team uh he's actually had a really good start to the year whereas the rest of his line has not Mm. 
uh, they've only been okay. So I, I'm interested to see what he can do this year because if he bounces back in terms of uh, like driving possession and all that little stuff, he's right back into the top 10 for me. Yeah, I wonder like, in terms of the um, the underlying numbers and some of the stuff you're seeing in the, in the transition, like it just feels like from watching that, like generally speaking in the past, Blake Wheeler has done quite a bit of that. I wonder, obviously, is because he's at a bit of a different stage of his career, and I wonder um, with that recent contract extension they gave him, I understand what he means to that franchise and city, and, and you sort of have to reward a guy like that. But I wonder... It seems like eventually, like that, that torch is going to be passed if it hasn't already to Mark Shifley, and he's going to become the guy. So I'm kind of curious to see how that's going to go as well. Yeah, it's super interesting, and I feel like Blake Wheeler is just such an elite level playmaker, mm-hmm. and he's really found ways to like continually reinvent himself as he's uh, he's not old yet, but no. he's getting there. Well, and he has quite a bit of miles he, on him. I mean, he's been around. Yeah, for a he long does. Time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, I mean, I think people forget that he even played in Boston, right? Mm-hmm. So that's uh, he's he was on the Thrashers too, wasn't he? When he was traded, yep. he was he goes all the way For back. Dennis Wyman, so. I believe, and Rich Peverly. Yeah, classic Shirelli. Yeah, that's good trade. Good trade. Classic. It's crazy how many elite players Shirelli has traded. <laughs> okay, let's, let's not get into this. No, stop. This could be. We could do a whole thing. podcast on Shirelli trades. Yeah, but yeah, Wheeler's fantastic. Um, above him, I had Stamkos. I think we've already talked mm-hmm. about him. So who do you have at uh, fourteen? So at fourteen, I have um, I have Ryan Getzlaff. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, like a, I, at this point of his career, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's anything uh, necessarily in your insightful that I could add to the conversation. Like, I guess sometimes just based on the fact that he's playing out on the West Coast on on Anaheim, um, he gets kind of forgotten a bit in the discussion of the top centers in the game. But you know, we saw two years ago now, I guess, in that postseason run for when, for Anaheim when they made the Western Conference Final, like just how he has this unique sort of Joel Thornton like effect on the game where he's one of the few guys during a time when the game is speeding up and everyone seems to be just playing at this frantic tempo. Once he gets the puck, he can kind of just slow it down and force everyone to play his game and he controls and shields the puck so well. And, you know, with that reach and that vision from up there, he's such a phenomenal distributor and it's crazy, man. Like last, last night we're recording this on, uh, on Tuesday morning last night, they, he was out and uh, obviously Kessler's still out and just looking at that Ducks lineup and I know they won and they're having a good start to the season in the standings but just when you subtract him from that team it's like oh my god Ryan Getzlaff is so important still and I'm, I'm not sure that's a great position for Anaheim to be in based on his age and how long he's been around but he's still so effective that I think he uh, he merits a lot of love and being this high on the list and I'm glad that we are talking about him because uh, generally when we're talking about, cause he's, he's just been around for so long and maybe just cause the way he plays, like he's not necessarily on the highlight reel that often. So for whatever reason, people just aren't really talking about it, but especially when he came back from injury last year, he was so good and, and it just wasn't, it wasn't a thing that people were really considering. Yeah. I had him inside my top 10 at number nine. Mm. Every single year I watch like the first few games of the year that gets left plays and I watch him skate and I'm like, how how is this guy still an elite player but he just manages to do it the combination of like puck skills and pure strength and smarts like 
he's a great transition player, which makes no sense for a player that slow, but it's kind of the same deal as Yarmer Yager, right? Like as much as uh, I got made fun of last year for my Yager take being a, a top, I think it was a top 10 right winger. Right. And then he was out of the league. Actually, his numbers were quite good in Calgary. They were just really smart or really stupid. Sorry. Mm. But uh, anyway, uh, he just is able to continually find ways through that neutral zone, either picking his way through players with great stick handling at slow speeds or passing uh, to teammates or just like bowling through them like they're, you know, pins and he's a bowling ball. It's, uh, he just impresses me so much. And then there's the offensive game, which like he's still an elite level playmaker and somehow at his age with all the injuries that he's had is essentially a point per game player. I wonder how different our perspective of Ryan Getzlaff would be if he shot a little bit more in his prime, right? When when he was like a 15% shooter for like six years and he was shooting like one and a half times a game, I feel like if he would double that, just be a little bit more selfish and he was scoring like 25 to 30 goals every year instead of, you know, like 11 to 19 and having like a couple great goal scoring seasons. And, you know, then we'd be looking at like multiple 85 point years for him uh, in that prime prime range, or maybe even more like we would probably be saying first ballot hall of famer instead of, yeah, he could probably make it in. Oh, he, I mean, are are people saying he's not a first ballot hall of famer? Oh, I I don't know. I'm just assuming that most people don't see him that way. I I don't know if he's first ballot just because, I feel like you need to have quite the reputation to be first ballot. I mean, then again, he's, you know, been a still, uh, stable hockey Canada guy. So that helps as well. And he's won a Stanley cup. And, mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to get to a thousand I mean, points probably assuming yeah, uh, he, no catastrophic injury coming up here. Hmm. Yeah, he might. And the other thing is, I, I think also he won his Stanley cup so young, right? right. So like sometimes that, memory kind of fades over time and maybe he'll wait until the second year of availability who knows but i I just think he's you know not a generational player but he's right up there in terms of like the next tier uh i i'm so impressed with ryan getzlaff and his longevity it's uh really incredible yeah i mean last year he only played 56 games he had 50 assists in those games like it's Mm-hmm. He's just, yeah he's uh he's already got two two assists in two games this year he's uh yeah man he's uh He's one of the best best passers, playmakers that I've ever seen. Right up there, I mean, obviously below Joe Thornton, but uh, in that next in that next tier. Um, so I uh, we're we're getting close here to the top ten. I feel like I the only names that I haven't mentioned that I had in that in that eleven to twenty range were uh, Nick ba- Nick Backstrom coming up here, and then uh, Matt Barzell. Yeah, I didn't have Barzell just because I kind of underrate the rookies a little yeah, bit. Just because that one year, yeah. Yeah, and I, I want to see more for him. Like, I would have him, just based on last year, he's probably a, a top 15 center in the mm-hmm. NHL. He was so incredible. But I, I kind of keep them down in, like, the 25 to 30 range in my personal rankings just because I want to see if they can do it twice. But uh, if we want to round out our uh, t- uh, 20 to 10 there range, I've got uh, Ryan O'Reilly at 13, who we've talked about. Uh, John Tavares at 12. And Nick Backstrom at 11. Okay, well, let, let me do a quick thing on Barzal before we get into uh, Backstrom and, and Tavares. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to break it to you, Andrew, but he's uh, he's going he's gonna to do it again this year. He, uh, from yes, what I've seen yeah, in the, in the totally first couple of games, he, damn, man. He, uh, 
so I believe he's already drawn like three three penalties or maybe even four at this point. Um, he just I was watching yesterday against the Sharks and just what he's capable of doing in, at this early in his career and sort of the poise is remarkable where he's just drawn the defense towards him and then it just must be so fun to play with a guy like that because basically you just have to like occupy open space and just have your stick down on the ice and you just wait for him to deliver a perfect pass and uh, it led to this beautiful power play goal yesterday and probably he could have had a couple more points if his if his teammates were better but he's I mean I, I think there's a bit of a concern there amongst people like people are generally pretty high on him and after you have a rookie campaign like he had like the sky's the limit but I think people were like oh I'm kind of curious to see how he's going to look without Tavares there you know shouldering some of the responsibility and some of the defensive attention and now that teams really when they're game planning for the Islanders it's it, it's Matt Barzell and everyone else like that's a, a bit of a different spot to be in but he seems like uh, one of those players that's going to handle that in stride and not be phased at all and I'm expecting huge things from him I think uh he just what he's what he's capable of as that as that playmaker and it's it's a rare quality that very few guys are able of pulling pulling off so seamlessly yeah i i mean like uh, sport logic has a stat that's essentially like how many scoring chances a player generates for their teammates at five on five mm. per 20 minutes right and as you would expect the top player in the last two years each year was Connor mcdavid and uh that's what you expect to happen right but last year it wasn't you know Evgeny Malkin or Nicholas Backstrom or Evgeny Kuznetsov number two it was Matt Barzal so that tells me that uh, he's definitely going to be able to do it again and he is just it's not just the quantity of scoring chances that he creates it's the quality because most of them are coming off the rush because he's so ridiculously fast so creative and they're all involving either, you know, passes through the slot or to the slot, backdoor chances. Like, he's just always looking for the best possible play. And he he's able to play at such a high speed that he doesn't need to, you know, slow up and survey the ice. And it just gives him such a ridiculous advantage. I'm so impressed with him. Right. It's, uh, and he's kind of, there's another Chiarelli moving. Eh? Well, he's kind of like, uh, I don't know what that one go. He's kind of like, uh, Eichel and and um and Taylor Hall in that transition game as well, right? Like he's one of those few guys that can kind of flip the ice um single handedly where he just gets it in his own yeah. zone and all of a sudden next thing you know he's like doing loops in the offensive zone looking for an open guy and yeah, I I love that willingness. It's, it's like Artemi Panarin like from the perspective of like he's not just necessarily looking to get rid of the puck immediately. If he doesn't like what he sees, he's perfectly comfortable doing a, a, a small lap and waiting for a different passing lane to open up. And just so few guys in this league play that type of game. So when you're watching him, it's, it's, it's jaw dropping just to see how comfortable he is kind of in his own skin and with the puck on his stick, regardless of how many defenders are on him or, or kind of looking his way. So um, yeah, I have him, I have him 13 um, Backstrom, uh, so, I mean, what, what more is there to say about him? Like playing la- playing injured last year to end the year. Um, I know he's being used a bit differently now that Kuznetsov's playing on the top line with with Ovechkin, but his defensive responsibility on this team and uh, that second line with him and Oshi and now Rana are so effective and have to do so much for the Capitals that allows Kuznetsov and Ovechkin to thrive. And he's... Uh, He's he's just a damn good player, and he's still um, even if his point totals dip a little bit, he's still equally as effective and important to this Capitals team. 
Yeah, he is. He's incredible. I, I feel like I was always a little bit of like, does Ovechkin make Backstrom a little bit like, you know, he's a great playmaker, but is he, you know, a step or two down from what we actually think? Because he's able to just feed Ovechkin over and over and again and inflate his point totals. And then this year he didn't get to play with Ovechkin as much. And I kind of expected, well, you, you know, he's a little bit older now too. He'll, you'll see a drop in his overall play and it didn't really happen. He was still incredible. Uh, he's really, really underrated defensively. I feel like Nick Backstrom does so much great work without the puck that he doesn't get credit for. It's one of those like, uh, prototypically Swedish things where he's just like good everywhere and everyone just expects all Swedish players to be complete players so he doesn't really get any like nods for it right. I, I'm just I, I think Backstrom is uh, I, I agree that you, like what's left to say because we've been fawning over him for so long but man he, he's just an incredible balanced player who is good in all facets of the game like uh, his offensive impact was actually the lowest that I had him ranked like I did uh, like percentiles and where they rank by each category of the game and he was like 19th offensively, 5th in transition, 6th in defense <laughs> among the top centers in the game. Like, that's incredible. So I, I'm just, uh, I'm continually surprised by Backstrom and how good he is, even though I've been watching him for what feels like forever. Yeah, yeah, he just always finds new ways to uh, to impress. Um, okay, let's take a quick break here again, and then we're going to do the top 10. I know we got to get to Tavares, who just missed yours, so we'll do that on the other end. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust out there. And that's why we're going to talk a bit about SeatGeek here, who's sponsoring today's episode of the Hockeypedia cast. SeatGeek is essentially going to be your one-stop shop for whatever tickets you're looking for because they pull millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. They know there's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek's going to help you get closer to action for a great value. All you have to do is first pick the event you want to go to, and I know now that it's October, there's so much to choose from, from NHL season being in full swing, to NBA being around the corner, to MLB playoffs, to NFL season. I mean, there's just so much sports goodness out there that it can be a bit overwhelming, um, which is why I just recommend, honestly, going to SeatGeek and checking out uh, what's out there, and then you pick the event, you look at the color-coded map, which grades all the seats available based on the value they're going to provide, and you pick whatever's in your price range and wherever you're looking to sit for that event. And then you're essentially good to go, and you know that there's a full guarantee that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. So SeatGeek really makes it that easy. It's only a couple clicks, a couple minutes, and you'll be good to go to uh, to the sporting event you're choosing. And the best part is SeatGeek's actually going to provide my listeners with a $20 um, bonus um, off their first SeatGeek purchase just for listening to the show. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, um, so I actually had, uh, I think we're officially into my top 10 and I had Tavares at nine on my list. Um, why did you, why do you have, why do I have so low? Why is this an well, anti-Toronto thing? Yeah, I mean, for starters, I hate the Maple Leafs, mm. and uh, I think that they all suck. Mm. And 1967, no, no. Uh, uh, basically, Tavares, I have a huge amount of respect for. He's one of the few players in the game who can kind of identify a weakness in their game, and then the next year they're almost elite at it. Yeah, it's he kind did of like right? Yeah, yeah. He kind of did that with defense. Like he three years ago. 
in like 2014-15, he was like among the worst defensive impact centers in the game. Uh, the next year, he was about league average. And then 2016-17, he was like Selkie quality defensive player. And last year, I feel like he just suffered from the general incompetence of the Islanders. So his defensive numbers took a huge hit. His transition numbers took a huge hit. Uh, his offense was the same because he's John Tavares, but... You know, if two areas of your game take a hit, you're going to fall down a little bit. So that's why he fell down for me. Um, maybe it's unfair to expect him to, you know, not be impacted by his team being a gong show. Hmm. But he kind of hasn't been for his whole career. And he's been, you know, playing like that in Long Island the whole time, uh, being fantastic. So the expectations are extraordinarily high when we get this high on the list. And also when your name is John Tavares. Right. But if, you know, the beginning of the season is any indication, I think in Toronto he'll be right back inside the top 10 next year. Yeah. No, I mean, he. it's a good thing he left that gong show to, to last year with the Islanders to, uh, to get to play in some seven, six games with the Leafs. Yes, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it was a very, very unfamiliar surroundings for him. No, I mean, he's going to – he's obviously going to be great in Toronto and, and uh, you know, with a hat trick already and – He's in that perfect spot on that second line with Mitch Barner and, and the top power play. So he's going to have a, a huge season. And uh, yeah, I mean, you had him at 12 and I have him at 9. So we're, we're right there. Um, I had Jack Eichel 10. So did I. I feel like that's his perfect spot. We've come to a consensus. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that's Jack like Eichel number 10. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's awesome that he's finally going to have people to not only... Um, help get, I, not even help get him the puck just kind of be around to take a bit of the pressure off of him and the scoring load but also guys who aren't he's not even going to be playing with just so that it's not purely a one-man team anymore um he's looked good early on uh yeah, i believe he had two goals yesterday against vegas and yeah i mean i he's gonna have a huge season like it, it last year was just so weird for him because the year before uh, Buffalo's power play was so good. I believe it was like the best in the league randomly. And then last year it was atrocious and he didn't really get to benefit a lot from, uh, from any kind of easy power play points. It was so much five on five stuff. And for a while there, it was like, I believe like, I want to say like 25, 24 of his first 25 points or something were primary points. Like he was pretty much, if he wasn't either scoring it or directly setting up a goal, um, the Sabres just weren't scoring a goal with him on the ice. So it was like it was just one of those things where his n numbers last year are fine in a vacuum, but you really need to con contextually look at it and go like, oh man, he probably could have had just a great season approaching 100 points if he had gotten any good fortune or any luck from or any help from his teammates. So if he gets some of that this year, which I'm expecting him to get more of, um, he could be one of those sneaky guys to be like a top three guy in scoring randomly. Yeah, I I can see that for sure. He he's a guy that, like you said, he kind of has been forced to do it himself mm -hmm. his whole career in Buffalo. And like, if you look at his first three seasons, it doesn't look like there's a huge amount of progression, but there definitely is, especially without the puck. Uh, defense is definitely Eichel's weakness, but he's really really improved there uh the last couple of years especially over his rookie year where he was terrible and in terms of just like bringing the puck up the ice there's just literally no one better 
at driving possession by moving the puck up the ice than Jack Eichel. He is an unbelievable puck carrier. He just finds ways to enter zones cleanly, exit zones cleanly. He's unbelievable at it. He's not as dynamic as like the Barzals or the McDavid's, but he just gets it done. So that's one of those reasons why, you know, if he has a little bit of support from line mates, that's going to help a lot offensively because he doesn't have like, not to say that he isn't dynamic. He's just not at that same echelon that those guys are. He is still, you know, an incredible top 20 in the league offensive player, most likely, but he does need a little bit of Mm -hmm. contribution from line mates. Everybody does except for McDavid. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting situation there in Buffalo now that they have a couple of guys who can help him out. I feel like Jeff Skinner is going to be really interesting to watch with Eichel because he's a guy who can't carry the puck for whatever reason at all. Uh, huge turnover machine outside of the offensive zone. But once you get him into the offensive zone, he's one of the league's elite offensive wingers. So as long as Eichel can get that puck into the zone, which he is better at than almost anyone, him and Skinner are going to work together quite good. Or quite well. Yeah. yeah, you're so excited there. Quite good. Um, I know, quite good. I'm just, you know, throwing out some bad uh, diction there, well, bad uh, sentence structure. And to add to your point, like, you know, in basketball, they say that, um, you know, rebounding can be part of um, evaluating defensive play because if you're if you're not getting the rebound, you're not really ending the defensive possession if the other team can keep it. So it's like it with in terms of Eichel and what he does defensively, I kind of give him a bit more... Uh, bit more leash on that because he is so good transitionally because he is at least capable of like once they do get the puck getting it out of his own zone effectively yeah, absolutely. so it, it, that kind of you know you can't really um separate those two things sometimes they go hand in hand so um let's get let's let, let's move on um i was gonna say let's get into the top 10 but we're already there um who, <laughs> um because i had Tavares at nine so i only have eight guys left and we haven't mentioned any of them yet so i'm assuming they're the same guys for you but where are we at on your list after uh, uh we're after also at eight because i had gets laugh at nine okay okay so i mean the top eight for me is mckinnon barkov bergeron kopitar matthews malkin crosby and mcdavid and i assume i'm barring some crazy oversight that that's in some order the same eight guys for you yeah i had uh, mckinnon kopitar bergeron barkov matthews malkin crosby mckdavid hmm. okay that's so almost we're pretty much same, identical right? yeah um yeah it's funny because we're at like the 70 minute mark or so on this podcast and we're like getting into the top eight here but i feel like <laughs> yeah. we could we could just like we could just wrap it up right now right like, like the guys we we've talked to up until up until now are more interesting just because you know there's more debate there and there's more uh kind of interesting anecdotes we can give to them with with a lot of these guys it's like especially with crosby and walk at two or three i guess like the argument you could have is which one should be two and which one should be three but otherwise it's like yeah, Sidney Crosby is great, and he's the second best or third best center in the league. It's like, okay, everyone knows that. There's nothing. Yes. Like, what else are we going to add to that? I guess with McKinnon, um, just based on the fact that last year was such a far departure offensively from what he'd done in the previous years, and most of that was the fact that he started shooting uh, slightly above league average at 13-something percent, and it's only a couple games so far, but he's exactly at that mark again this year, and I guess that's going to be the thing to watch. And I... I made this point before last season where I kind of not I wasn't definitely on an island like a lot of people did based on the talent, but he was a kind of prime breakout candidate just because it was like 
and you watch this guy play, there's no reason to believe that he should be such a subpar finisher. He seems to have a perfectly fine shot and he gets into great scoring, great scoring regions on the ice and it'll eventually come together for him. And it finally did last year. And I guess the one thing to watch this year will just to be whether that can continue for him or whether he'll kind of regress back to something more so in the middle of where he was at in 2017, 18 and where he was at before that. Yeah, I I fully expect him to maybe not be quite as uh, dominant offensively this year just because last year was so crazy. Like, uh, I, I expect him to be up in the same range, but in like in my offensive breakdown, just looking at last season, he actually had a higher offensive impact than McDavid did, hmm. which is probably not going to happen again. <laughs> like, McDavid has been consistent across three years. Like, there's almost no variability variability in what he's produced. He's gotten a little bit better each year, but, like, with razor-thin margins, he's just who he is. And McKinnon bounced up, like, 40% last year. So I, I would assume that there's going to be some drop. Uh, part of that might be that Miko Rantanen doesn't have as good of a year. Right. Um, but... Man, McKinnon, he's so dynamic. He's one of those guys that he was built to be on top 10 highlight reels, you know, at the end of the night, or at, like TSN's old honorable or on candidates or whatever they called them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I feel like when I was growing up and every morning I would turn on the sports station and watch the highlights from the previous night. That's what Nathan McKinnon was born for. He's, yeah, I mean, he's just below McDavid for me in terms of watchability. Like, I think he's the number yeah. two guy for me of, like, if I had my pick of anyone to watch a game of, it's it's him. Um, just the, yeah, it's it's, it's unparalleled. Like, I think McDavid is a faster skater um, or, like, mm-hmm. or more explosive. With McKinnon, though, like, the power that he skates with and, and sort of the ability to go from standstill to his top gear is so freakishly fast. And when he gets going with a full head of steam, he's just this like unstoppable freight train. And uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a remarkable sight to see. And it feels like last year, um, it might be a bit convenient just because it worked out shooting percentage wise. But I did feel like he sort of figured out how to pick his spots a bit more in terms of like not over skating. Like sometimes he's just so dominant with his stride that he can kind of push himself out of great scoring positions just because he like doesn't stop at the right time and and last year he was uh kind of picking his spots a bit more and and mixing in uh some change of pace and everything came together for him and i'm very curious to see whether he can repeat that this season and once again be right up there in scoring and in the mvp race yeah i feel like maybe it's just because of the jersey that he wears but mckinnon a little bit when like last year when he was at the top of his game he reminded me a little bit of Peter Forsberg, mm. just that like incredible power with skating. And like, it, he doesn't always have to be at top speed to beat you. Yeah. That's uh that's who I was getting flashbacks of. Although he, he's a better scorer than uh, Peter Forsberg ever was. Maybe not quite the playmaker though. Mm. Yeah. I think that's uh that's fair to say. Yeah. And very few people were the playmaker that Peter Forsberg was. Mm. Um, yeah. So I have, and then Barkov, Bergeron, and Kopitar, I kind of like, mush them together in this list as like the you know the elite defensive yeah. guys yeah that are also great offensively and um i don't know like how much more there is to add on those guys it was great to see barkov kind of put it all together last year stayed healthy was doing everything for that panthers team um you know bergeron it looks like uh back to his old tricks this year had a hat trick yesterday that top line with him, Marsha, and Pasternak is as good as it gets in the league, and I'm expecting a great season from him. And Kopitar, um, 
he looks awesome so far. I mean, him and Kovalchuk are like a great reason to watch the Kings and maybe the only reason at this point. And uh, he's similarly kind of in that tier with those three guys is I don't, I don't think they can necessarily crack like that top three guys. But if you wanted to have them four or five, six or whatever in some order, like I'm perfectly cool with that. Yeah, I feel like that's fair. And, you know, I, I think Bergeron impresses me in his ability to kind of reinvent himself like uh, earlier in his career, he was a bit more of a playmaker, and now he's one of the league's like top high danger scoring chance producers. He just loves to hang out by the net, and like especially on the power play, he's just like a net front guy who jams pucks in at an absurdly high rate. And you're like, is this Patrice Bergeron or JVR? But then he goes and finds a way to be the first person on the back check. Like he's uh, he's something else. Uh, I think there was a bit of defensive decline last year with Bergeron in terms of like. Uh, cutting down scoring chances, but mm-hmm. he then ratcheted up his ability to cut down offensive zone passes and teams just couldn't move the puck against the Bruins last year when he was on the ice. So it's like, sure, teams are getting some shots, but Rask doesn't have to move. And I don't know. He just finds a way to be the best defensive player in the league every year. And, you know, Kobotar, uh, not as great without the puck as Bergeron is, but he is the single best uh, overall transition player, uh, partially because his ability to pass is just unparalleled. For the last three straight years, uh, he's been the player with the highest pass success rate, highest pass success rate relative to their team, and he does it in all three zones. For some reason, Drew Doughty does the exact same thing on defense. That's just like the key to the Los Angeles Kings. Like These two guys never turn over the puck, and everybody else kind of is there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great way to sum up uh, sum up the Kings. Um, <laughs> so I had Austin Matthews at four on my list. Yep, same. Um, yeah, I had him at five on like by the numbers, but I bumped him up over Barkov just because I expect you know the next step to be taken by Austin Matthews any second now, and part of that next step is just you know Babcock needs to play him more. Yeah, and man, that that first game of the season, like you almost forget about Austin Matthews' shot over the summer and then you see it once and you're like oh right he has like probably the best shot well maybe outside of Patrick Laine in the last like 10 years that I've seen like uh, the first goal that he scored against the Canadians his first goal of the year was just absurd that pullback and the power and accuracy that he gets like it's not it's not just one of the two right like there are plenty of guys who can shoot the puck as hard and as quick as Austin Matthews, but I don't know if there's anybody else who can shoot it as hard, as quick, as accurate as him. Like he's able to pick spots when he has no time and he has to alter where he's shooting from, you know, like shooting off his wrong foot or shooting behind his own feet or, you know, like he can't get any whip in his stick because he's shooting from in front of himself and somehow it's still a laser. It's just a, a game altering shot. Yeah, he's right up there with Philip Philip Forsberg as uh, the two guys who have the most kind of unique and lethal release where, like, obviously the accuracy and the velocity of it is one thing, but sort of like the unpredictable nature of where it's coming from and at what point they're actually going to release it is uh, is so unpredictable that I imagine both for defenders trying to block the shot and for goalies trying to time it and get into good position to make the save is, must be just such a nightmare to deal with. and. I mean, he's led the league in his in his two seasons um, in five on five goals. His fifty five, McDavid's the only one over fifty with his fifty one, and 
you know, if you even prorate that on a per hour basis, it's even more impressive how far ahead he is of everyone else in the league, basically. So yeah, now that he's playing on the top power play unit and potentially being used more, um, I expect like he, he seems like a very trendy candidate to win the rocket Richard. And I'm at obviously based on his first couple games, that seems like a, a very realistic possibility. I'm still at the point where it's like, I want to see someone, I want to see some signs of slippage from Ovechkin or someone's going to have to take it from him before I feel comfortable saying he's not going to win it. But, uh, if anyone is going to take it from him, it's like Matthews and line a right up there is two, three in some order. Yeah. Although I think you made a mistake there. I think you meant Filipovich Forsberg. Oh yeah. No, that, I think I actually said Filipovich Forsberg. Oh, did you say yeah. Filipovich? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. I just wanted to make sure that we, we got that in there. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh yeah. I expect either line a or Matthews to be the, the guy every year uh, after Ovechkin, you know, finally gets that scoring title wrestled from him. And, and I hope that, like you said, it is taken and not him fading because wouldn't it be great to see like a three-way scoring race where like to the last game of the season, you don't know which one of the three is going to win. And you see, maybe we'll have like one of those patented Ovechkin games where, you know, he needs three more goals to win the scoring title. And he's like, no, I'll score four. Yeah. You know, like I, I feel like until someone does rest it away from him, it's not going like we can't award someone as like, ah, they're the generation's top scorer now. Uh, I, I want to see something dramatic out of those three players. And, you know, we'll talk about line a when, uh, when we do wingers, yeah. we get to the wingers, mm-hmm. but his start to the season as well. The extreme uptick in shots is very interesting to me. Yeah. The uptick in shots and the uptick in usage, right? Like, yes. I mean, more so with line a than Matthews, but like, if you just look at the raw volume of how many minutes they're playing, if that goes up as they, um, you know, progress in their careers and, and kind of hit their full physical prime. Um, that could really lead to some really, really, really interesting uh, goal totals. But yeah, I mean, it looks like it's going to be a heck of a race because um, Ovechkin's kind of, you know, any concerns that potentially he could have had a, a bit of a hectic summer and maybe come into, into the season in not his ideal shape. Looks like it's uh, those concerns have been put to rest with his first couple of games. So he's going to be right up there again with like 45 to 50 goals and it's going to be a fun race. Um, yeah, so Malkin Crosby, 3-2 uh, in some order. Both guys, I don't know, the resume speak for themselves. McDavid was a very clear number one this year. I feel like for the past couple of years, you could have made a case for Crosby at number one if you were just kind of going with the track record and sort of the intangibles. But at this point, McDavid's sheer output and talent is just so unrivaled. I mean, in the past two seasons, this stat blew my mind. He has uh, 134 5-on-5 points. Kucherov is second, and he's the only guy with over 100, and he has 101. So that's just insane, right? And then in terms of primary five on five points, McDavid is one Oh one and Kucherov second was 76. Like it's just, Jeez. it's, it's right now the NHL in terms of offensive production is McDavid and then everyone else. And, yeah. you know, it's disappointing. I know Oilers fans are always like, Oh, you're so hard on the Oilers making so many jokes about them and Shirelli. And it's not like, because I hate the Oilers by any means. It's disappointing because this team should be, um, a cup contender just based on how good McDavid is if they could have surrounded him with any competence and you watch that first game of the year against the Devils and whenever McDavid wasn't in the ice it was like this team had zero chance of generating any chances let alone scoring and it looks like this year is not going to be much of a departure from last year and that's just super disappointing this should be a much better team and I will say um, 
I think the fascinating, the only fascinating question for McDavid is like, what is the ceiling offensively this year? Because if they do have some positive power play regression, I feel like 125 points or so is in play, which in today's NHL is just absolutely mind blowing that that's even a, a thing you could realistically consider. Yeah, I think that's the the most fun thing that's going to happen around the Oilers this year, which is kind of depressing for yeah. their fans. But at the same time, you get to watch, you know, generational hockey player every night. So whatever. But uh, yeah, the power play thing, if I mean, he said he was going to shoot more on the power play. Right. So like <laughs> that's been a problem for his power play style as well. So far in the NHL, he just kind of hadn't figured out what spot he was supposed to play. He was trying to set up a bunch of other players and like, I don't know, man, I, I love Connor McDavid's passing ability, but when he's passing to Mark Lutestu, I'm kind of thinking don't, Yeah, you know, as much as he had like a good run of shooting, let McDavid shoot that puck a little bit more or get somebody who can fire off a higher quality shot. Uh, yeah. 120 points is definitely within his purview. I, I think eventually no matter what happens in Edmonton, he is going to drag that team kicking and screaming to a Stanley Cup because he's just that good. Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't, I feel like everyone in Oilers management should be a gigantic pariah around hockey for the rest of their lives. Like it's that big of a shame to waste this guy. I, I feel like the Penguins went from being utterly terrible to being a Stanley Cup contender within, what, two years of Sidney Crosby making the NHL? And yes, they added Evgeny Malkin, but Leon Dreisaitl's great too. And it's not like the Oilers didn't have the pieces to build around McDavid. And for cheaper than what they are currently paying their team, it's just so many mistakes. Uh, like, I, I'm sorry to Oilers fans who think that the PDO cast makes fun of their team too much, <laughs> but this is... Even as somebody who doesn't care about the Oilers at all, it makes me angry. Yeah. Because it's they should be great. Yeah. It is. It is an embarrassment to the game, to quote Claude Julien. Yes. Oh, if only some hockey men would stand up for, for the code here and stand up for, for the <laughs> NHL. Um, all right, Andrew, we did it. We did the uh, the centers. I mean, I think when we get into defensemen, we'll be echoing these sentiments about how loaded the position is and how many names are for consideration. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you compare the list of the guys we were talking about now to when we get into the wingers, I guess we're going to we're gonna smash left and right wingers together, so it'll make doing a list of those guys easier. But, yeah, this this position is uh, is freakishly loaded, and it was fun to get into it. Um, we will, at some point in the next couple of weeks, do the wingers and do the defensemen, so people can look forward to those shows. Um, in the meantime, plug some stuff. What uh, What are you working on these days? Yeah, so we just finished up that project. The The goalies should be publishing around the same time as the podcast comes out. So head over to Sportsnet and check out uh, the top 20 goalies and uh, yell at me over uh, Carey Price not being number one. Big spoiler for mm-hmm. Canadians fans. Uh, and also I've got a AMA on our hockey coming up on Wednesday. So uh, check that out. Dimitri also did one recently. So yep. go search. It's a good time, yeah. Search for that one too. He had some good answers in there. I, I enjoyed reading through. Awesome, man. I'm looking forward to uh, to checking yours out as well. Thanks for coming on the show, and uh, I'm sure we'll chat very, very soon here. Absolutely. Cheers. One last thing before we get out of here. Um, last week on on the show, I mentioned that this season we're going to be doing uh, weekly fan duel contests uh, with the PDO cast, kind of like a listener league. And we started that off last week. We did. Um, a Wednesday contest for the season opening day. 
and it was a lot of fun. There was only a couple games on, so there wasn't that much to choose from, but we filled out the 20-team league, and uh, it was a good time. I predictably did really badly. I finished in the bottom half because... I apparently have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to this stuff, but that's all part of the fun, and I love playing with you guys. So to remind everyone, uh, if you want to get in on the action, this week we're going to be doing it uh, for the Thursday day, Thursday slate. I think there's 10 games on, and it's the busiest day of the week, so it should provide a lot of opportunity to get creative and pick some different player combinations. Uh, for those of you that have played, I will be tweeting out the link contest um, at some point leading up to thursday so you'll be able to just kind of hop in there and grab one of the spots that's available for those of you that haven't uh just go to fandle.com slash pdo and sign up and i believe when they sign when you sign up and you make your first deposit they're gonna give you a 20 dollars bonus on top of that for you to play with and experiment and, and have some fun so i highly recommend it it's a good time we're gonna keep doing it all season and you're gonna hear me keep talking about it so hopefully we see some fresh faces in there um and you get to uh you know you get to play me it's only a couple bucks but you get to play me for bragging rights and uh be one of the people that can say that uh you handily dusted the floor with me in, in daily fantasy so i look forward to seeing you all there and with that uh let's let's hear the outro music and get out of here um expect another at least episode uh later on this week maybe maybe two we'll see how it goes until then Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.